Chapter 2, verse 1, this is what Yahweh says, Because Moab has committed three crimes, make that four, I will not revoke my decree of judgment. Now, I already talked about where Moab came from, but Moab is located to the southeast of the Dead Sea. So right kind of north, next to Edom, and a little bit higher. So Moab is there, and they're right below Gilead. They burn the bones of the Edomites' king into line. Burning people's bones is a way of saying, I damn you to eternal damnation. Okay, it's because they believe that your body, your bones were going to be taken into the afterlife. Now, that doesn't mean you actually can damn somebody to hell for burning their bones. And that doesn't mean the cremation today is wrong. That's a whole other topic. It just means in that culture, at that time period, that's the way they interpret it. So God is not just saying, hey, you cremated people and that really ticked me off. What he's saying is that you killed people and you treated their bodies poorly with the intention of saying, I don't even want you to have any kind of afterlife at all. And that's jacked up evil. I will set fire on Moab and I will consume Kerath's fortresses. Moab will perish in the heat of battle amid the war cries and blaring of a ram's horn. I will remove Moab's leaders and I will kill all of Moab's officials with him. Yahweh has spoken. Now all this happened. All these nations, when the Assyrians came, starting in 734, they began to take nation after nation after nation to exile. And so we, in hindsight, can see this total fulfillment. And God dealt with all these nations. And the warning here is, knows that these crimes are very similar to what many nations do today. And the book of Romans makes it very clear that God still deals with all the nations. And he lifts kings up and he takes them down. And he brings the nations to power and he brings them down. All for the same things. And the implications of this is the way that he deals with them then. And God is not a God who changes throughout time and history. And his standard does not change. His character does not change. And the way that he deals with sin does not change. Then the implications, this is the way he will deal with nations today. And this is the way that he has been dealing with nations since then up to now. And we'll continue to deal with them. And so the warning to us is, if we are a part of nations like this, or we are thinking other nations are great who will participate in these kind of actions, God abhors this. Okay? Treaty breaking, covenant breaking, oppressing the poor, attacking other people for resources, taking their land, all just because you want power. And frankly, America is guilty of all this. How often you have to do this, that's another thing. God has incredible patience. These people have been doing this for a long time. And I'm not a prophet up here saying America is going to be destroyed like very soon. But I am saying the Bible makes it very clear that if a nation continues in this path within a certain amount of years, hundreds, I don't know, they will be dealt with. They will be dealt with. By, and his favorite way of punishing nations is with other nations. And we're going to see that, especially when we get to the book of Habakkuk and the book of Isaiah. God loves using other nations to punish nations. Now we come to Judah. This is what Yahweh says, verse 4 of chapter 2. Because Judah has committed three covenant transgressions. Now notice the word covenant here. The nations are guilty of oppressing and hurting people. Everybody knows that that's wrong. And C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, makes that point really well. But Judah is now guilty of covenant transgressions. Things that maybe not everybody would know are wrong, 
But Judah knows are wrong because they had a covenant revealed to them by God where he gave them more details of what righteousness is than what most of the nations have. And not only does this make it wrong because they've been given more details of what righteousness looks like and they violated it, but it makes it even more wrong because they swore to honor that covenant with Yahweh and they violated it in the same way of violating marriage vows. I will not revoke my decree of judgment. They rejected Yahweh's law. They did not obey his commands. Their false gods to which their father will loyal set them astray. So I will set Judah on fire and will consume Jerusalem's fortresses. Amos is making it very clear that even though we know in hindsight Judah is going to escape the Assyrian judgment, that doesn't mean Judah is not guilty. Now Judah was going to come under the Assyrian judgment. But the only reason they escaped it is because many kings, especially Hezekiah, repented. And they escaped it. But Judah's going to make the mistake that if God didn't punch you with his right hand, there are no other hands he can punch you with. And so they will go into deep more immorality, and God will get them with the Babylonians. It's kind of like that Tennessee Ernie Ford song. The right one doesn't get you, the left hand will. They, God does not list sins. He does not list oppression. All he has to say is, you violated my law and you had idols. And by saying you violated my law, that includes everything. Everything he talked about. Notice when he deals with the nations, he doesn't deal with a law. They don't know a law. They're they're, they're outside the, the direct specific revelation of God. All they have is general revelation. So he lists specifically the way that you hurt and kill other people. But when he deals with Judah... All he has to do is refer to the special revelation of the law, and that entails a whole other series of things. And Judah doesn't need a list of specific sins because they have the law. They have the law. Now, the real target, chapter 2, verse 6. This is what Yahweh says, because Israel has committed three covenant transgressions, make that four, I will not revoke my decree of judgment. They sold innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. They trampled on the dirt-covered heads of the poor. They pushed the destitute away. A man and his father go to the same girl. So the first thing he begins to list is the way they mistreat the poor. You sell them to make money. You cheat them. You oppress them. You keep them poor. You keep them underfoot. And that's not good. The NIV says, A man and his father go to the same girl. And this way they show disrespect for my moral purity. Then it goes on and says, they stretch out on clothing seized as collateral. They do so right beside every altar. They drink wine brought, bought by the fines they have levied. They do so right in the temple of their God. So notice how the first sins he lists is social injustice. You're oppressing the poor, you're making money off of them. Then he talks about a father and a son sleeping with the same girl. But then he goes back to social injustice, oppressing them with taxes and levies and, and taking money from them and buying wine with it, okay, which have gone to the poor. This is not the best understanding of the man and the woman or the father and the son sleeping with the son and girl. It doesn't fit the context, and it's not a good translation. The NIV is not correct here. Most likely what is being referred to here is a pagan festival called the Marazea. The Marazea was a banquet for the elite. Okay? And the woman, the, the word woman here is the word girl. Many of you have a footnote. And even in this footnote, it's, it implies sexual morality. 
but it may not be a harlot, as many people have translated, but more like the hostess. And the idea is that think of a really elite, wealthy gentleman's club. Okay, not a gentleman's club like a stripper's club or a strip club, but a gentleman's club where like really wealthy politicians and businessmen where you have to be making X amount of dollars to get into. And they basically go there and they smoke the best cigars and drink the finest wines and they just listen to music and they just sit there <laughs> and enjoy conversations with each other and usually plot to overtake people and businesses and make people more poor and that kind of stuff. And the hostess is some very attractive woman who brings around the Cuban cigars and the caviar and all that kind of stuff. And so the idea is that a father and a son go together to these gentlemen clubs and they're served by these hostesses and basically they're just wallowing in the wealth of their gentlemen's club and rubbing shoulders with other elites while the poor are out there starving to death and they're starving to death because these rich men are overtaxing them. And that's the idea. It's the, this, though Israel is truly guilty of sexual morality and horribly evil things, Amos is not really concerned about that right now. What he's concerned about is social injustice. What he's concerned about is that these people, the wealthy, are making money at the expense of the poor, and then they go live it up while the poor are literally on the other side of the walls living in the gutters and starving. So it's kind of like Jay Gilbert's, this giant, well, not quite. Jay Gilbert's is still popper compared to this. But an immediate example is Jay Gilbert says all these great steaks and all kinds of serving to people. And meanwhile, they take all the leftover steaks that they couldn't sell that night and they just throw them in the trash can and then spray with chemicals so the homeless can't eat it. And that's the idea. Meanwhile, there's people in the streets who are desperate for food and there's all these leftover steaks and all these bagels from Panera because people love choices. And the homeless can't eat it and they're poor because, God forbid, somebody might eat it and then they sue us. So we'd rather just poison the food than deal with lawsuits. And they're really wealthy as a result of it. That's a very minor example. We can go even higher when we talk about governments and corporations and what they're doing to people and, and how Apple has like sex um, or um, sweatshops for child slavery and all that kind of stuff and sex slave trade industry and all that kind of stuff. And this is making the wealthy even more wealthy. And this is what he's specifically dealing with. And notice it says, and they do it right there in the presence of the temple. This would be the equivalent of saying, and they do it right there in your church. They do it in their church. But it's even worse because the church isn't the temple of God, and God doesn't dwell in the church. This is just a building. You are the new temple, and God dwells in you. What makes this worse is that this is where God's Shekinah glory of God dwells. And it's right there in that big, right in the presence of that pillar of fire, and they're doing it right there in that presence. Verse 9, For Israel's sake I destroy the Amorites. They were as tall as cedars and strong as oaks, but I destroyed the fruit of their branches and their roots in the ground, and I brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now this is something that God often does. Not only does he mention you violated my law that we both agreed to obey, but I also saved you. He doesn't just deal with the fact that we made a covenant vow with each other and you violated that vow and you went off after other gods and you oppressed our neighbors, 
But he also goes to the fact, but look at all the things I've done. I saved you. Okay, I saved you. You you were being oppressed and abused by other people. And I came and rescued you. And I made you a powerful nation. And I defeated your enemies for you. I beat up your abusive husband, so to speak. And I put him in his place. And I gave you a new marriage with a great covenant. This is the idea that Hosea is going to go into. And, and I made you great, and then you took that greatness and that wealth and that salvation I gave you, and you used it to oppress other people. Use it to oppress other people. And this is what makes God so angry. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I led you through the wilderness for 40 years so you could take the Amorites' land as your own. I made some of your sons prophets and some of your young men Nazarites. Is this not true, you Israelites? Yahweh is speaking. Look at everything I did for you. The life that you have, the wealth that you have, the privilege you have is because I gave it to you. And the same way you took all the money that I gave you in Egypt and used it to build a golden calf, you took all the money and the gifts that I gave you and you used it to oppress other people. And remember way back, God says, the reason I'm making you slaves and foreigners in the land of Egypt is because I want you to go and be a blessing to the world. And the world is full of slaves and foreigners and oppressed people. And I am allowing you to be oppressed and enslaved and a foreigner so that you will know what it's like. And you'll have empathy for the people in the world. And you'll be motivated and driven by a desire to be a blessing to them. And now they have used it to become more powerful. God has truly blessed America. And with all of our faults and all of our sins, I much rather raise my daughters in this country than anywhere else. I definitely see the sins and the faults in this nation. And it is not right to ignore those cracks. Okay? However, it is not right to also ignore how truly blessed and how great this nation is compared to other nations and how privileged and how fortunate we have to raise our families in this. But God gave us this to be a blessing to the world. He gave us all this, not just to make us privileged, and to make us wealthy. He saved us from oppression and poverty. He blessed us with the Industrial Revolution, though that had serious problems. But it did birth a lot of blessings and fruit and comforts and freedoms and privileges that allows us to become truly free, truly powerful, and truly influential to go to the nations and be a blessing to them. And when we use those blessings to just feed upon ourselves and ignore them, or we use those blessings to cheat the other nations and slay them even more, or we use those blessings to build walls and close ourselves off, this is not at all why God made America great. This is not at all why we say God bless America. Too many people now see God bless America as, wow, it's really awesome to be American, and God is the God of this nation. God bless America means bless the world. Just like Abraham was blessed by God and Abraham turned around and gave it to Lot and other people and then God just kept filling his hands and he kept passing it out and he filled his hands and passed it out. That's what we've been called to. No, we are not the chosen nation of God, but God has not changed the way he blesses people. It's always to be a blessing to other people. And so when other people say, that's not our problem over there, or we have our own nation, or we're not meant to get in metal in their businesses, that's wrong. In my opinion, that's absolutely wrong. Now, do we have to be careful about the way that we meddle in their businesses 
And if we're doing it for our own power and our own glory and we're ignoring their cultures, heck yeah, that's wrong. But if there's true injustice happening where people are being abused and dominated, then heck yeah, you're supposed to be the older brother who beats up the bully. Okay, now we have to be very, very careful about how we do that because we can't disrespect people in the process and push them out of the way. But that's a whole other conversation. That's policies. And that requires a lot of work. But too often it's just easy to say, let's just barrel in and do what we want to do, or let's just build walls and close everybody out. It's way harder to figure out how to go in and help people without dominating them and, over, and overpowering them. And that's too messy, so why do that? Okay, but that's where the hard conversations come. And that's what God is calling them to. He never gave Israel the right to roll into everybody and take over. But he also expected them to help the other nations and to administer justice and freedom and liberation. And that's what he's called us to as well. And so he says, I'm going to hold you accountable. Verse 12, but you made the Nazarites drink wine. You commanded the prophets, do not prophesy. Look, I will press you down like a cart loaded down with grain presses down. You even went to the righteous people and you corrupted them. When you, when you saw righteous people, you couldn't even stand to see righteous people. So you went and you intentionally tempted them. You intentionally got them to violate their covenants, the Nazarites. You intentionally went to the prophets and you got them to stop prophesying and stop preaching the word of God. You made good men and women go silent. And you corrupted them. That's how evil you are. And so I will press you down like the weight of lots of grain. And you will suffocate under the weight of my judgment. Fast runners will find no place to hide. Strong men will have no strength left. Warriors will not be able to save their lives. Archers will not hold their ground. Fast runners will not save their lives. Nor will those ride horses. Brave-hearted warriors will run away naked in the day. Yahweh is speaking. Nothing stops the word of Yahweh. And so he basically says, your strongest, your brightest, your most athletic will be nothing in the face of this judgment. No matter how cocky you think you are and how awesome you are, all kings fall. All kings fall. I don't know where this originally came from, but Villain Ted's bogus adventure, the sequel, the Grim Reaper comes and he comes to take them. And these people are like, no, 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 you can't take me. And he has this nice little ditty. He says, you may be a king on high or a little street sweeper, but eventually everybody dances with the reaper. And that's kind of what God is saying here. It doesn't matter how powerful you think you are. In the words of Ecclesiastes, all men die and you're not remembered. And that's what God is saying. And right now, I had to spend a lot of time telling you where all these nations were because nobody remembers them. Yeah, they were so cocky in their day. They were so cocky in their day. Yahweh has spoken. That's a powerful phrase. 